Again, to look today at um, passage from Matthew's Gospel, ask the question: Is Jesus in the boat with you? Okay, Matthew chapter eight, verse twenty-three. Now, when he Jesus got into the boat, the disciples followed him, and suddenly there was a great tempest rose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, have, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the waves obey him? Praise the Lord. Let's just have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the Lord of glory. Thank you that we can come to you in faith. Pray that you bless the preaching and reading of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I found the last two weeks incredibly difficult. Watching the news is almost torment. <laughs> and one just feels this pressure of trouble all around us. Where's it heading to? And what is the answer? How can we find hope and peace in the midst of all of this? Uh, some of you know I write a column for the Prophetic Witness magazine called Signs of the Times, and I thought just to begin, I would actually read to you what I wrote for this week's, this month's edition. Back in the 1960s, there was a famous protest song called The Eve of Destruction, sung by Barry Maguire. This chorus said, you tell me over and over again, my friend, how you don't believe we're on the eve of destruction. Well, that was nearly 60 years ago, and we've managed to survive just about until now. But now it seems to me that we could really be on the eve of destruction. Present time, we're seeing Israel, Gaza war, threatening to bring in a conflagration in the Middle East, even a world war, after this horrific attack which was launched by Hamas on October the 7th. And in my opinion, Hamas and the terrorists are responsible for all the suffering which is taking place in Gaza. It's their fault. They didn't launch bombs. If they didn't attack people, then there would be no trouble and there'll be peace in the region, but there isn't. Israel is poised to go into Gaza with a ground offensive. If it does, it's quite likely that Hezbollah will open a second front. In fact, in a sense, it's already happened, and the West Bank could erupt into violence. The United States has sent its warships and warned Iran and its proxies not to enter the war. Iran has warned of imminent preemptive action against Israel if Israel sends ground troops into Gaza. Iraqi militias, militias law to Iran have said they'll join the war. Iran's proxies in Yemen have already fired missiles at Israel, which, according to my report, was aimed at Elat. It was in the south of Israel. It was actually intercepted by the Americans by a warship. Israel said it would destroy Damascus if Syria and Hezbollah launch a full-scale attack. Meanwhile, Russia's blaming Israel and siding with the Palestinians, US siding with Israel, but also urging Israel to be restrained. There's huge unrest across the Middle East as demonstrations against Israel and America rock the Muslim world. Also here in London, yesterday in London, there were people chanting for the jihad, saying from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, which means actually the elimination of Israel and all that stands there and also basically threatening the Jewish community, which is in fear around us here in this neighborhood. 
But it's not the only thing which is happening. Ukraine war is grinding on with little progress on either side. Russia's angry at NATO for supplying weapons to Ukraine. Some Western countries are backing off their support for Ukraine, which may ultimately give Russia the edge in the war. Meanwhile, there have been warnings of nuclear war which have come from Russia. Uh, there was a one-day nuclear exercise which included preparation for the destruction of up to 70% of Russian housing, stock and SIF support facilities taking place across 11 time zones in Russia in preparation for a nuclear war. Who's going to bomb Russia? We're not, but we might if they bomb us. Is Putin thinking about something there? China's continually massing forces at its coastal military bases facing Taiwan. Taiwan's defense ministry issued a report on the expansion of China's airfields and military activity on Taiwan's doorstep, saying China has begun probing Taiwan's territory on a near daily basis. China decides to pull the trigger on an invasion of Taiwan. It will mean that the United States and China will be at war and nothing will ever be the same. Russia and China are actually getting together with an alternative world order, confronting Western nations, bringing in other bad actors, including the Iranian Islamic regime, North Korea, and increasing influence around the world from countries which have a grudge against the America. Africa's plagued with wars and military coups, along with poverty and bad governments. Radical Islamists are terrorizing Christians, while in Central and South America, Drug gangs killing and destabilizing countries bring misery to millions. 828 million people, or 10% of the world's population, find themselves in a state of chronic hunger, go to bed hungry every day. And desperate people are seeking refuge through illegal migration into the developed world, mainly into America or Europe, but these countries can't absorb them and are also facing economic and social crises of their own. Global debt hit a record $307 trillion second quarter of last year, this year. US debt has hit $33 trillion and rising by $1 trillion every six months. The US government can't resolve its funding crisis to raise the debt ceiling to the problem in November, which is also related to the problem with the Speaker in the House of Representatives. It won't be able to pay its employees and its government will shut down. All of this is not sustainable, and sooner or later it will lead to an economic crisis which will make the events of 2008 look like a picnic. Banks and businesses across the US are already closing. Crisis is only just beginning. Contagion will affect the whole world economy. China, too, is in deep trouble economically as the collapse of its housing market has left debt everywhere in its economic system, with local governments unable to pay their pensions or civil servants. In the UK, much of Europe, the cost of living crisis is causing hardship, leading to social unrest, with a potential economic crisis here in Europe as well. Also, we have strange weather and natural disasters, which are taking place around the world, which are raising the demand from the UN and global bodies for measures to put in place to save the world from catastrophic climate change. Uh, there are some legitimate questions to be asked about the science behind the Green Agenda, which I have as well but our leaders are plugging it, going ahead with this regardless of the potential for the net zero project to bring further economic and social decline in the industrialized nations. Projected that the UK cost of going over to net zero is around three trillion pounds, will cost the UK economy one pound per second for the next 31,000 years. As we don't have this money, either the project will be ditched, which is unlikely, 
or we'll end up poor, hungry and cold, unable to travel, unable to express opinions to the contrary. And without adequate power, money available, many of the systems which the industrialised world relies on will no longer function properly. Is that true? I'm afraid it's all true. Now, if we could see that our governments or opposition parties have an answer to this, we could have some hope that it'll be resolved. But they don't. Now, Jesus said it's going to be like this. There'll be a crisis which will bring this age to an end. He said there'll be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and this, on the earth, distress of nation with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts fading them from fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. The word for with perplexity, distress of nations with perplexity, is aporia, means with no way out. In other words, you're going to see a lot of crises taking place in the world which nobody has an answer for. Book of Revelation, chapter 13, says that out of this, one's going to rise called the beast or the antichrist, who will offer some kind of solution, but this won't lead to peace and safety, but to a time of great tribulation, leading to the return of the only one who can put it right, that's Jesus Christ. And so the implication is that those who believe in Jesus may be fearful or may be concerned about what's happening, but you shouldn't panic and give up because it means that your redemption's drawing near, that Jesus is coming. And that there is a great hope for all those who believe in Jesus. In fact, at some time in this point, event which we call the rapture is going to take place, which Thessalonians says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel with a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we should always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So you have a hope. It's in Jesus. But although we have this hope, we don't know when he's going to come. And we have to say that we, how are we going to live in the meantime? And that's one of the questions I want to address today. How do we keep our lives going? How do we prepare for the coming of the Lord, but also live our lives in a world which is in such chaos and confusion. There are some bad elements in the prophecy movement who basically cause great harm by telling people to drop out of society and uh, just wait for the coming of the Lord. That's not what you should do. Some really bad elements, I saw one in Africa, in Kenya, where a guy told his people to go out into the forest to starve, and they've starved themselves to death in expectation for the coming of Jesus caused a great scandal in, in Kenya. Uh, bad teaching on the second coming. Basically, we should live our lives as we have planned them, carry on, earn our living as we're able to, provide for ourselves, for our families, look after people in the community, be a positive influence for good and for truth in our society, showing the love and mercy of God to all as the Lord allows. And we should plan our lives as if we have a lifetime ahead of us, but also be ready to meet the Lord at any time. But I think there's a lot of evidence that time is getting short, and at any moment, any one of the crises I've mentioned could tip us over into something really serious. Book of Jeremiah, it says about how God has a controversy with the nations. Jeremiah 25, verse 30, it says, Therefore prophesy against them all these words, and say to them, The Lord will roar from on high, Utter his voice from his holy habitation, he will roar mightily against his fold. He will give a shout 
as those who tread the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. A noise will come to the ends of the earth, for the Lord has a controversy with the nations. He will plead his case, he will give those who are wicked to the sword, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, disaster shall go forth from nation to nation, and a great whirlwind or a great tempest shall be raised up from the farthest parts of the earth. God has a controversy with the nations. And the reason why all this crazy stuff's going on is because the nations are going against what God says. And so basically the only answer is to go back to what God says. Will they do it? Jesus said in Luke 21, verse 10, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences and fearful sights and great signs from heaven. And he says, there'll be signs in the sun, in the moon and in the stars and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. What is certain is that Jesus is going to come back again. Written about all over the Bible. And when you see a time of trouble coming, you know that it's heading you towards the coming of the Lord. A storm's coming, maybe it will be delayed, but it looks like it's pretty likely to burst pretty soon. Maybe we'll be taken up before anything bad happens, but nevertheless, we have to prepare for the fact that we might not be, and that we may have to live here for a little bit longer and to bear witness to our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, in my Bible reading the other day, I was going through Matthew, and I looked at the passage we began with in Matthew 8, verse 23, Jesus going into the boat and the storm on the sea. Just read it again. When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly the great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with waves. But he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful? Oh, you have little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the waves, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? You've got a situation, the disciples are in this boat in the Galilee, and suddenly as they're in the middle of the, bo- the sea, this great storm blows up. They're far from the land, too far to swim to the shore, and the waves are roaring, and they're coming into the boat. Basically, they're afraid that they're about to perish, and it's quite likely that they are going to perish, unless something happens to in, in, to intervene in this situation. What are they going to do? Well, something a little bit different from the normal situation is that they have Jesus in the boat. If they could actually think about it logically, with Jesus in the boat, it's not going to sink. Not going to sink because Jesus has been training these disciples for the task which he has before them, and he's not going to allow them to die by drowning in the Sea of Galilee. And certainly Jesus himself can't die by drowning in the Sea of Galilee because he's got to die by crucifixion at Passover in Jerusalem to fulfill the prophecies of the suffering servant Messiah. But probably the disciples didn't think all that one through at the moment. And in the natural thinking, they could say, yeah, this is a dangerous situation. We could be about to perish. We could be about to die. In fact, that's what they say. They wake up Jesus and they say, Lord, save us. 
We are perishing. Lord, save us. We are perishing. But Jesus is asleep. And in the beginning, Jesus is asleep and apparently unconcerned about what's going on. And sometimes people feel that that's how it is with God. You know, it's chaos all around. The ship is sinking. Has God gone to sleep and doesn't care about us and is not doing anything about it? But he is there. And the first lesson we have to learn from this passage is that God is there no matter what the circumstances in our lives, what's happening in the world. God is always there. He that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps, it says. And he may appear to be asleep, which in the natural he was, but he's still God and he's still there. And when he acts, when they wake him up and Jesus acts, all is clear, it's all clear and safe. He said to them, why are you fearful, O you little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm. So as soon as Jesus steps into the situation, it all changes. And as we look at the state of the world today and we see all the crises and all the things going on around us, we see the, the, the great turmoil and the, the potential for destruction. Yeah, we can be afraid, but actually Jesus is going to step into this situation at the second coming and when he steps into it, he's going to create a great calm and great peace in the world and he's going to resolve all these conflicts which are taking place. Meantime, we have to be patient and wait for his return. But he is going to come. He's going to create peace and justice in the earth. There's a great calm. And when Jesus comes into a situation, even in our lives, in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of our lives, whatever crisis we're going into, he can give us peace and calm in that situation. Think of those people in Gaza, people who are suffering persecution around the world. If they call on the name of the Lord, even in the midst of their troubles, he's there and he can help them and bring them through. And the disciples, seeing this, seeing this great calm which comes, they ask a question. Who can this be that even the wind and the waves obey him? Which is a good question. Who can this be? The only one who can this be who can make the wind and the waves obey him instantly is the one who made the wind and the waves, either God. I don't know if you're aware of the physics of this situation. If you are in a storm and suddenly the wind drops... Will the waves also drop at the same time? Will they? No, they won't. Because of what you call kinetic energy, once the wind is up, the waves are going to continue for some time after the wind has dropped. So even if you said suddenly the wind drops, the waves are going to still carry on. You go into a bath and you swish the bath water backwards and forwards with your hand. If you take any great waves, if you take your hand out, the waves are going to continue. So when Jesus said, when the wind and the waves stopped at the same time, that was a sign <clears throat> that it was a miracle, only God could do it. They couldn't just say, well, the winds happened to drop at the same time. If the wind had dropped, the waves would not have dropped. But Jesus did that, and both the wind and the waves dropped at the same time, and there was a great calm. It showed that he was God. And that's why, if you've got Jesus in the boat with you, you've got the one who made everything and who made you, and he's not going to let you drown, he's not going to let you sink going to keep you going until the time that he takes you to be with himself. And if you think about it, this is a good picture of the human race in the end time scenario. We're in a ship that's in a storm that could sink. And the question is, are we going to doomed and we're going to go down with the sinking ship or are we going to be saved out of it? Now, one of the things which comes out of this 
account in the Bible is that the disciples could not save themselves. They needed somebody who was greater than themselves to save them. And we look at the situation in the world today and we look at the situation in our lives, one of the things which comes out very clearly is that we cannot save ourselves. We need someone who's greater than us to save us from this situation. And on one level, Jesus is in the boat of the whole world system even today. He made it, he's redeemed it. He has people in it, that's us. He also has purposes for Israel, so he's going to keep Israel afloat. And he has a purpose to come back to the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem and bring the end to this present world system, despite its rebellion against God, and save all the people who believe in him. He has to come back and rule over it in what we call the Millennial Kingdom. So if you apply it to the world, to the church, and to Israel, there may be a whole lot wrong with all of them, but actually none of them can sink. They can't perish, they can't disappear until Jesus comes. That's kind of a comforting word. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 24, there'd be a time of great tribulation, and if God did not cut, shut those, did not cut short those days, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake he will cut short those days. You understand what that means? It says that if God didn't cut short the days of trouble which are coming, then it could mean the end of the world, the end of life, but for the elect's sake, he's going to, not going to cut it short, but he will cut it short because he still has a purpose for this earth and that Jesus is going to come back again, not to destroy the world, but to save it and to rule over it for a thousand years. I believe that's what the Bible teaches. Therefore, God has to keep the world afloat until Jesus comes back again. So we won't blow it up. Hopefully that's good news. <laughs> now, in the light of all this, I thought there are two wrong attitudes people can have. One is complacency, and the other is fearfulness. So we'll look at the first one, complacency. People can be asleep, and they are, mostly. Most people in, around us are totally asleep, and they're blind to what's going on. They're trusting in themselves. They're trusting that they can get it through, or that someone will sort it out. And they're not looking at the real things which are taking place. I do a bit of evangelism, and sometimes you talk, approach people to talk to them about Jesus. One of the responses people say is a polite response. They say, I'm all right, thanks. What are they saying when they say, I'm all right, thanks? They're saying, actually, I don't really want what you're saying to me. Go away. Uh, they're doing it politely, but they're saying, I'm all right. And my response is, you're not all right. <laughs> Unless you have Jesus in your life, you are in a very dangerous situation. You're likely to perish. And on the Day of Judgment, you will not be all right because you need to have Jesus in your life to stand before God. You're also in a sinking ship and the only one who can save you is not in your life. Jesus is not in the boat. You're in the storm and Jesus is not in the boat with you. And a lot of the church says we're all right. We're just going to carry on with our nice services and we're going to preach a few truths about uh, being nice and kind to people and whatever. And end up like the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3, where it says, You say I'm rich and become wealthy and have need of nothing, but you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, and blind, and naked. Counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. Notice the Laodicean church says, I'm all right. I'm rich, I'm wealthy. 
I have need of nothing. But Jesus says you're poor and wretched and naked. And I think he says that about much of the professing church in the world today. Look at that church. Where is Jesus in that church? He's outside knocking, asking to be let in. And although we use that verse as a good example of how to let Jesus into your life, it's actually Jesus asking to be let into the church. Now, how can Jesus be asked to let into his church? Well, if the church has kicked him out, basically, then you have that situation you have in Laodicea, where they're trusting in themselves and their own righteousness and their own wealth and whatever, and they don't need Jesus. Saying we can work it out. We've got a humanistic message which will save us. We don't need your message of the gospel. And a lot of what the churches are teaching today is actually a humanistic message, if you look at it. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ calling people to repentance and faith. And Israel too can be complacent. They were complacent before this thing happened. Uh, And even now they're saying we can defeat our enemies by our own strength. I think they really need to call on the Lord to help them at this time. Probably the best example of complacency, um, trusting in yourself, was the most famous shipwreck in history, the sinking of the Titanic. What did they say when the Titanic was set sail? Even God cannot sink this ship. And on its maiden voyage, it hit an iceberg and sank. Interesting, just a few things about what happened on the Titanic, some which come out in the film. The film had a few immoral bits, but actually some of the points were quite interesting. Uh, They were trying to break a record to cross the Atlantic, so they went into a danger area. They weren't thinking that the ship could be sunk because they thought that God couldn't sink the ship. When it did hit the iceberg, they didn't have enough lifeboats. They also had an unjust situation in which they put the first-class passengers on and kept the third-class passengers in cages underneath, and they put just a few passengers on the boats to start off with, and when it came to the end, they didn't have enough lifeboats. Another interesting point was that once they had spotted the iceberg, they were heading towards it, there was a point at which it was, they could not change direction because of the momentum of the ship. Uh, they tried to change direction, but it was too late. They were heading for the iceberg and nothing could stop them. I thought there's a few points here about our society. We've kicked Jesus off the boat. Society is consumed with pride, massive injustices in the world. We're complacent about our situation in which we're really in great danger. And we're on the path to a disaster with no turning back. And we've rejected the lifeboat of faith in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying we, society. So you can see it's like this complacency, this feeling that we're okay. We're not okay. We need to get right with God. And we need to ask. Governments really should be organizing prayer meetings uh, all over the world to pray for the salvation and deliverance from the crises which are coming on the earth. But they won't because they can't even mention God. (laughs) Okay, the other problem is fearfulness. And maybe some of the things I've said today have made you feel fearful. We're in a perilous situation, so let's just bunker down and hide and hope that it'll be all over soon and don't open your mouth. Don't even go out. I heard of some people who, since COVID, have not even been so fearful that they don't go out of their houses. And you have this fear which they projected even during the COVID time just to get people to comply with the rules. And people are being made to feel fearful 
and feel paralyzed with fear so they won't do anything. And in the case of Christians, we're so fearful that we don't want to say anything about Jesus for fear that we might be rejected or that people might do bad stuff to us. And also, even this subject which I'm talking about, about Bible prophecy and the second coming, we don't want to look at that because it's scary. So we cut off these things because they're fearful. Now Jesus says, don't be afraid. He says, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Don't be afraid. Jesus is in the boat with you. He tells you, yes, you are weak. You can't save yourself from the danger. You are in peril. But I'm with you. I'm able to save you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus says, cast your cares on me, for I care for you. Come to me and I will give you rest. You may suffer for a while, but very briefly in comparison with et to eternity. You may even die, but if you die, then you go to be with me forever. And I will never leave you or forsake you. If you do take on board everything Jesus says to you, then we can have a right attitude as the ship heads into the storm. We can do what we can to keep ourselves afloat. Live a normal life, go to work, study, look after yourself and your family, but also trust the Lord and be ready to meet him at any time and use the time that remains to spread the word and help others to get ready to meet the Lord. Now, as I said, sometimes people think that God's asleep and he doesn't answer our prayer or he doesn't care. And we see things going from bad to worse and our prayers don't seem to make any difference. God does care and God does answer prayer, but there are conditions. He wants us to call on the name of the Lord. He also wants us to repent and believe the gospel. And when the problem's coming, then people don't turn to the Lord, then he's not going to answer prayer. We need to be in the right relationship. And we need to know that also God answers prayer in the name of Jesus only. There's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. And so people can pray and they can pray to their gods, but their gods cannot save because they haven't paid the price, which is the price which Jesus paid when he died for us on the cross to save us from our sins and to pay the price through his blood so that we can be reconciled to God. So we need to come to God through Jesus. That's the first point. Secondly, we need to recognize that God's purpose sometimes in allowing the storm to come is to get people to cry out to him. Uh, psalm 107 is an interesting psalm, sometimes known as the psalm of Witsend Corner uh, because people are at their wit's end because of their troubles and they cry out to the Lord. And it says specifically about people who go down to the ships, down to the sea in ships. Psalm 107 Verse 23, those who go down to the sea in ships who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind which lifts up the waves and the sea. They mount up to the heavens, they go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and they stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storms so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. 
See there, they're in trouble, they're in peril for their lives, they're at their wit's end, they can see no hope for the solution. Then they cry out to the Lord and he brings them out of their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses and he calms the storm. Part of what God wants to do in the times of trouble is to get people to call out to him. And one of the things we can pray for as we see all these troubles around the world is that in their need, people will cry out to the Lord and ask him, what is the answer? What's the solution? And that God can reveal to them that Jesus is the answer. And we pray for all the people in distress, whether they're in Israel, in Gaza, in Ukraine, in China, in wherever, in North Korea. Pray that God will cause them to cry out to the Lord and that God can reveal himself to them. Pray that they may have the word of God. And so many people in the world don't even have a Bible and don't know. But even without the Bible, God can still reveal himself to them and show them that Jesus is alive and that he loves them. The interesting story in the Bible, which is about a man who got out of God's will, found himself in the midst of a great storm and was put back into God's will in a rather unusual way. The story of Jonah. Let's look at the first chapter of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose and fled to, to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, that's Jaffa, and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You know, the geography, Nineveh is to the northeast of Israel. He goes down to the port city of Jaffa on the west coast of Israel, and he takes a ship to go to Tarshish, which is as far to the west as you can go. So he's going in exactly the opposite direction from the one in which God has told him to go in. Verse 4, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, Why do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God, perhaps your God will consider us, so that we may not perish." And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? The men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to the land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray you, O Lord, Please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea ceased its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. 
get the drift of that story. Jonah has gone away from the Lord. He's been told to go and preach at Nineveh. Doesn't want to go and preach at Nineveh because Nineveh's, Ninevites weren't very nice people. And they weren't very friendly to anyone, particularly to Jewish people. And he thought if he goes to Nineveh and preaches there, they're going to kill me, so I'll go in the opposite direction. But God wants him to go to Nineveh. And so God arranges for this storm to come. And we find that in the midst of the storm, the mariners recognize that there's something which needs to be done by praying to God. Jonah doesn't because he's asleep. Again, you've got a picture of someone asleep, which is kind of interesting in the theme we've been looking at. But he says, call on the name of the, your Lord so that we may not perish. And Jonah reveals that the reason why this storm has come is because he is being disobedient to God. And I think that's the message which God wants to get across in this story. That if you're disobedient, you go the other way, then God's going to stand the storm. And that applies to believers in particular. We see if we go against the Lord, then we may find ourselves in a stormy situation. So we need to get right with God and do what he says, do his will. Mariners are pretty good people, aren't they? Because they don't want to throw him into the sea and they ask God to have mercy upon them, but God says that's what you ought to do, so they throw him into the sea. And God's prepared a lifeboat. In this case, a great fish. Doesn't actually say that it's a whale. Hebrew word is gadol, so it just means big fish. And it says that God prepared a great fish. So it was a fish which God actually made for the best purpose of rescuing Jonah and depositing them on the shore uh, so that he could then go up to Nineveh and do his job. But the story is a story actually which tells you about some of the things I've been trying to talk about today, that if you get out of God's will, then the storm's going to come. When we look at the world today, we see that the world is totally out of God's will. It's calling on the name of other gods. It's acting in defiance against the God of the Bible. It has no teaching of the Bible in most of the nations of the world, including our own. And so we see this great crisis which is coming. What can we do? We have to call on the name of the Lord and ask that the Lord will get us back into the right way. Get us back into the right way so that we can find the way back to God. And this applies to all people. It applies also to Israel. Present time, Israel is in big trouble, big time. And I believe in the right of Israel to be there. I believe that it's the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. But I also have to recognize that there is big trouble in Israel. And there's, another, there's a reason also for the trouble which nobody's mentioning, which is that Israel is not in the right relationship with God. In the book of Jeremiah, there is a prophecy which deals with the time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah chapter 30. It's actually specifically located, if you look at the last verse, verse 24, it says it'll happen in the last days. In other words, in the days before the second coming of Jesus or the coming of the Messiah. In verse 5 it says, Thus says the Lord, we've heard a voice of trembling, of fear and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor? and all faces turn pale. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck, I will burst your bonds, foreigners shall no more enslave them. But they shall serve the Lord their God, <clears throat> and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Therefore do not fear, O my servant David, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar 
and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, have rest and be quiet, and no one shall make him afraid. For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you. But I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. Notice that last verse there. I will correct you in justice will not let you go altogether unpunished. There's something which God has to correct in Israel. And in this time of trouble, God is wanting to correct something fundamental which Israel has got wrong. Now, people could say a lot of things which Israel does wrong. They could speak about Palestinians, about whatever. But ultimately, what God is saying Israel's got wrong is their relationship to God. Now, one of the things which happened in the last... uh, couple of weeks was this terrible massacre which took place at the concert in in the Gaza. Uh, A lot of young people dancing there, having a good time, night out, uh, end of the Feast of Tabernacles, and they were having a big celebration. Hamas went in and slaughtered, was it about 120 of them? Terrible event. Unfortunately, at that concert, they were dancing underneath the uh, image of the Buddha, they were listening to psytrance music, which is a kind of psychedelic music which creates an altered state of consciousness in which you can be injected with uh, all kinds of ideas, lining up with a new age idea that you discover God within yourself, who discover the power within you. And it's part of the whole new age system, whole alternative gods, which is very popular in Israel today. Tel Aviv, full of other gods, uh, full of LGBT and all that stuff. Uh, in Tel Aviv, actually, over Yom Kippur, they had an open-air uh, Yom Kippur service, which they separated the men and the women, and the secularists went in there and broke it up because they'd objected to them having this uh, Yom Kippur service in the open-air in Tel Aviv, which is a predominantly secular city. <clears throat> what does God think about that? Not a great deal. And one has to say that if Israel goes down this path, then it is actually bringing in other gods, the gods of the nations, and is opening itself up to the place where God cannot bless, but God actually has to bring judgment. So is the answer to go back to Orthodox Judaism? No, because Orthodox Judaism has brought in another kind of religious system which goes beyond what the Bible teaches, adds certain things to the uh, Hebrew Scriptures, and has taken away the most important thing, which is the identity of the Messiah, Yeshua. So ultimately what God wants to do in all this crisis is to bring Israel to call upon him and to recognize that they need mediation with God through the Messiah whom God has sent, Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. Very difficult for Jewish people to do because unfortunately there is also another element to this which is the false church which over the ages has taught uh, that the Jews killed Christ and Jews are Christ killers and created a huge barrier between Jewish people and Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. But any intelligent reading of the scriptures shows you that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and that he is the one who has fulfilled the law and the prophets and has came to bring us redemption through his blood. And at this time, just as for all people, it says uh, there's no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved but the name of Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. That applies to Jewish people as well. So part of the problem, part of the issue in Israel today is that God wants to bring them to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Zechariah chapter 12 tells you that at the time of great crisis they're going to look upon me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as for an only son. That's Jesus the Messiah. And so Israel also has this issue with God as do all the nations. 
And in the midst of all this crisis, all these troubles, which I've been talking about today, basically, they are all happening because people have gone away from the true God. Therefore, the only solution is to come back to the true God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And the true Jesus Christ of the New Testament, not Esau of the Islamic faith, who is a false Esau, false Jesus, uh, not the false gods of Buddhism and Hinduism and looking for the God within you according to yoga, which is a totally unbiblical idea. All of these things are contrary to the word of God and which are leading people in the wrong direction, ultimately to hell. And God's saying, repent, believe the gospel, come to Jesus. And just to conclude, we have to make sure, coming back to our first point, that Jesus is in the boat with us. Because no one else can save us. I guess because you're here, you're all good Christians. You believe in Jesus. Maybe somebody on listening online is not. But if you, for anyone, I would say, you must be born again, you must repent, you must believe in Jesus. You must have Jesus in the boat with you. Otherwise, you're in a boat which is going to sink. If you have Jesus in the boat with you, you have Jesus, the one who's able to say to the storm, peace, be still, and to create a great calm. That's the difference. And Jesus is able to keep us, if we have him in the boat with us, we are safe, and ultimately we are saved. Doesn't mean we won't have trouble. Doesn't mean we may not die. We will die ultimately anyway. But we may die in in the circumstances. But he's able to keep us through the trouble. And if we do die in the time of trouble, then we will be absent from the body, but present with the Lord for all eternity. And we should always be with the Lord. So comfort one another with these words. And just to close with the words from Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, he says, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So come to Jesus. He's the one who's paid the price. He's the one who can give you life eternal. Pray that God will open your eyes to understand the truth and reveal Jesus to you so that you can know his direction in your life. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The yoke is what steers the oxen as it's plowing the land. So God wants to steer us in our lives so that we are fruitful to him. And learn from him. Keep learning from Jesus. Never give up. Keep reading your Bible. Keep praying to the Lord. Keep having fellowship. Keep going on with Jesus. He's the only one who can keep you. And if you do that, you'll find rest for your souls. And in the midst of the storm, you know him saying, peace, be still. The Lord is with you. Praise the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll sing our final hymn. Father, we thank you that you have said that you'll be with us always, even to the end of the age. Told us to cast our cares upon you because you care for us. Thank you, Lord, that you said to the storm, (coughs) (coughs) you spoke to the wind and the waves and there was a great calm. Lord, we pray that you would save us. Lord, we recognize we are living in perilous times and we recognize that there is great danger all around us. We pray, Lord, that you will help us to stand firm for you, that you give us your peace and we'll know that you are with us always and that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Messiah Jesus, our Lord.
Amen.